Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. If you were with us over the last couple of weeks, we took a pause from the book of John and we started to answer questions. And I mean, many, many questions that came in. Pastors Chris Poirier from River Valley Church here in town and Troy Singleton did a great job answering questions. At the end of this service, if your question didn't get answered over the past few weeks, we'll tell you where you can find the answer to your question. Now we're back into the book of John, and this is a turning point in the book of John. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to deliberately use superheroes to describe what you're going to read about in the Bible. We did months and months in those first 17 chapters, and here's the truth, church. What happens starting today, we're going to pick up speed, we're going to floor the gas pedal, and we're going to move through the last couple of chapters of John, and John is going to describe for us what happens at Jesus' arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, his resurrection. That's what's coming up over the next several weeks. Let me tell you why we're looking at Marvel and DC characters with this passage of the Bible today. Because I think those comic writers understood something about human nature. I think they recognized that all of us get into situations when we're in over our head and we need help. It's the very reason why there's a phone number in the United States. And if you dial these three digits, somebody is going to show up to help you out. What are those three digits? 911. It's the reason why a military and law enforcement and first responders exist so that when you're in over your head, there's a hero that will show up and help you out. And most of us go through our life with those normal, easy days where we're not in need of a hero. But then there are those instances where we're in over our head, and if a hero doesn't show up, We're in trouble. And basically what I want you to understand, when you hear Superman, when you hear Wonder Woman, when you hear about Hulk today, I want you to think about this statement on the screens. You see, the helpless are, not become, but the helpless are hopeless. If they dial 911 and heroes don't show up, if their country is attacked and heroes don't stand up and defend them, and I don't mean that we become hopeless. I mean we already are hopeless, and we just didn't know it until the circumstances were so dire that there was nobody to reach out to. And what you're going to hear about the Bible today is the greatest superhero of all time, a guy who really did live and who becomes the hero of our faith, We like to call him around here King Jesus because he really is a king. And I like to remind people there really is a king in the United States, and it's not Charles in Great Britain. It is Jesus who is king over this country. When you're not desperate, when you don't feel helpless, chances are you make a fatal mistake of looking yourself in the mirror and viewing yourself as the hero for your own story. It's natural. I think most of us, when we're not careful, look at ourselves in the mirror, and we give ourselves too much credit, and we tend to be the hero of our own story until we're in over our heads. And when you're in over your heads, that's when you reach out for help. And if you don't have a hero to reach out to, 
you're in trouble. And what I'm going to do today is try to help everybody get to this moment in your life, if you haven't got there before, where you move from helpless to hopeless, because that's the moment that a hero steps in and radically rescues you. John chapter 18 begins the end of Jesus' life. You have probably more time in this book dedicated to the last couple of days of Jesus' life than all of the rest of Jesus' life combined. We took this pause at the end of chapter 17 because today starts a transition. You don't even have to be familiar with the Bible to know this. Jesus is the hero behind the book of John in the Bible. And what we've been studying as a church is how does this work? How do you live out your Christian faith? What does it look like when you walk with Jesus, IRL, in real life? And today, I'm going to try to use a couple of these superhero analogies. So here's the first one. If you're a huge Superman fan out there, Superman can fly and do some pretty amazing stuff, right? Well, Superman can't outfly his own flesh. He can't fly so fast that he actually flies outside of his flesh. And I know you're thinking to yourself, Jeff, that statement on the screen is just stupid. Well, bear with me for a second. I'm going to try to explain to you why it's worded this way. And actually, I'm going to try to explain to you why being your own superhero, the own, your own hero of your own life story will let you down every time. So we're going to start in the Bible, John chapter 18, verse 1. If you've got a paper Bible... You can flip open there. If not, why don't you look right there on the mobile app because we put the scriptures right in the sermon page for you. And now listen to the hero in the book of John and listen to what happens to him next. After Jesus had said these things, he was talking to the crowds. He had made his final statements. He had prayed for his disciples. After this, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley and there was a garden now, if you're in the habit of writing in your Bible and you have a paper Bible in front of you, I want you to circle the word garden in your Bible. Because according to John, this is a pretty big deal. There was a garden and he and his disciples went into it. Judas, who betrayed him, also knew this place. Now, John is talking about this garden a lot. Judas knew about this garden because G Jesus often met with his disciples so Judas took a company of soldiers and some officials of the chief priests and the Pharisees and came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Say the word weapons out loud. Then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, then Jesus, knowing everything, I think I need you to make sure that you hear what the Bible just says then Jesus, say these next, this next phrase with me, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, you guys missed it, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, went out and said to this party that came to arrest him, who is it that you're seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. I am he, Jesus told them, and Judas who betrayed him was also standing with them. Judas is getting a lot of airtime in these first few verses in the book of John in chapter 18. This garden is a pretty big deal. 
Because in Jesus' day in Jerusalem, these vegetable and fruit gardens were not permitted inside the city walls. There were flowers in them, but oftentimes these gardens existed outside the city, and then the, they, the gardeners would bring their crops, their vegetables, their olives, their fruit into the city to sell them in the market. Jesus is an outlaw. And the disciples are on the run because the religious leaders want him dead. They have already decided before this event, we're going to do whatever we've got to do to kill this guy. And apparently, John wants us to know, he's the only guy in the Bible that talks about the garden. Others tell us that Jesus went out to pray. John tells us a lot about this garden. Jesus goes out into this garden because he really wants to be alone. And he's got business to do with God. And while he's in this garden, there's some stuff going on behind the scenes that the disciples know nothing about, but Jesus does. Judas has already arranged to sell Jesus for 20 pieces of silver. And I just need you to remember that sometimes the kisses of a friend that betray you hurt more than the bruises of an enemy. Anybody ever been there, had a family member or a friend? There's only three people in this room. Anybody ever had a family member or a friend done you wrong and it hurts really, really bad? Well, that's what's happening to Jesus right now. He's in the garden. The other three books, first three books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and, John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell us about Jesus wrestling with God in the garden and the prayer that he prays. John doesn't mention this. John is more interested in telling you where this is happening instead of what exactly happens in that garden. And Judas knows where Jesus is. And Jesus, listen to this, y'all, knows that Judas knows. And Jesus could have hid himself away, could have went somewhere else, but he goes where he normally goes, knowing already, the Bible tells us, what's about to happen to him. And what the Bible is describing for us in John chapter 18 is Jesus has foreknowledge. He already knows what's about to happen before those guards and before the, uh, his betrayer shows up. I always thought Judas just sold Jesus out for some intelligence, like he provided some actionable intelligence for the Jewish guards and the high priest. But if you listen to this passage today, there's a huge party after Jesus. There's a commander and probably a company of Roman soldiers. There's the chief priest. There are guards. There are temple servants. And Judas, according to this passage today, is leading them all to the very spot where he knows Jesus is going to be. And Jesus knows Judas is coming. And I need you to hear this because if you've read this passage in the Bible again and again, you can miss some of what's right there in front of your eyes. Jesus knows this is about to happen. And he doesn't run away. And he doesn't hide. He makes himself available so that Judas can betray him. The other Bible books tell us, betray him with a kiss. And Jesus is arrested and tied up and led off like a common criminal. There's a lot of people in that garden that are there to arrest Jesus and to terribly mistreat him. And Judas, or I mean, John mentions the garden perhaps because John is comparing what happens in this garden with what happened in a garden a long time ago, way back in Genesis chapter 3. 
You see, God created another garden. It's called the Garden of Eden. God put two people, two perfect, pure people in that garden, and God gave them rules and said, don't mess this up. I've got one rule for you. Just don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they eat it. And while they're still in that garden, before God kicks them out of the Garden of Eden, he pronounces judgment on their sins. And then God makes a promise in that garden. The serpent who tricked Adam and Eve and convinced them to do the one thing that God told them not to do, God says to the serpent, there's a day coming where I'm going to send a rescuer. And you're going to snap at his heel. And you're going to bruise his heel. And you're going to do some real damage to his heel. But he is going to smash your head. And the second garden is going to be the beginning of the end for the great serpent, the enemy of your faith, the, the beginning of the end for Satan himself, the one who would do whatever he can to destroy your faith. Can I tell you why I'm mentioning Superman at the very beginning of this sermon today? Because if you're a big Superman fan out there, you know that Superman can do some pretty awesome stuff, right? Like he can shoot lasers out of his eyes and he's got bulletproof skin and he's basically undefeatable except for with one simple flaw or one simple um, weakness and that's kryptonite. When they make movies, when they write comic books, Superman's ability to fly gets a whole lot more attention than all of the rest of the cool stuff that Superman can do. And I just want you to know that if there really was such a thing as a Superman, the fact that he can fly, that's really, really cool. But I do know this. Superman can't fly so fast that he flies outside of his own skin, flies outside of his own flesh, that he can escape himself. And if you're sitting there trying to figure out what does this have to do with the Bible, well, let me explain it to you this way. There is something deeply broken inside of you deeply broken inside of me. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and you can't run fast enough to outrun what's broken inside of you. Superman can't fly fast enough to fly outside of what's broken inside of him. And Jesus knows it. And Jesus is in that garden, and although he could hide, although he could run away, he stands and he gives himself up instead of running away and protecting his own skin. And I want you to think about yourself and your sin and your skin the next time you think about how fast Superman can fly. Maybe you're a Marvel comic book fan. And maybe, like me, you love the fact that Hulk has this crazy amount of power and can just smash his way through any problem. Like if Hulk decided to, he could punch somebody's head all the way off of their shoulders. He's got raw, radical power. Well, if you were to forgive the gross misinterpretation or the gross um, uh, diminishing of Jesus's power, but if you were to, to compare Hulk's power with Jesus's power, it's not even in the same ballpark. So when Jesus has the power to fight, the power to defend himself in the garden, notice what he does next, starting in verse 11. When Jesus told the guards that were coming over there that were looking for him, when he told them, I am he, they stepped back and they fell to the ground. Do you know that there's actually a Latin phrase for what the Bible just says here? I'll tell you it in just a second. 
They stepped back and they fell to the ground. And then he asked them again, who is it that you're seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. I told you, I am he, Jesus replied. So if you are looking for me, look at what he does next. Let these men go. And this was to fulfill the words that had been said, I have not lost one of those you have given me. Then Simon Peter decides to use human power and force and might to, get, uh, to try to save Jesus' skin. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now, I don't know what the name Malchus means in Hebrew, but I think what the Bible is saying is a guy with one ear right now because Peter is going to try to fight his way out of this problem. And notice Jesus' response. Jesus, uh, at that, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword away. Am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? And if you read the other books of the New Testament at this point, Jesus not only commands Peter to put his sword away, but Jesus does a miracle and heals miraculously the guy who's trying to arrest him, heals this servant and fixes his ear right there on the spot. You see, inside of us, there is a problem. And if you were to take a child that has heard their entire life, don't cheat, don't lie, don't steal, and they've never been taught to cheat, lie, or steal, at some point in their life, for every single human being that's ever lived, except for Jesus, at some point in their life, they will lie, they will cheat, they will steal. And you can't blame it on their environment because it's not that they have been taught to do it. It's not that they have learned to do it. There is something inside of us. I'll prove it to you. Does anybody in this room, can you name one person who has, been, who has lived a, uh, to midlife and has never lied, never cheated, never steal, stolen in, in their entire lifetime? Can anybody give me one name? No, I don't make that list. You don't make that list. None of us even know somebody who makes that list. And here's what the Bible is saying. There's something wrong with us. This is very, very important theology. The reason why we cheat, lie, and steal is not because of our environment. It's because there's something inside of us that's prompting us to do it. Please hear my statement again. There's something inside of us that's prompting us to do that. This theology is very important because if you're not careful, you will come from the opinion that I did wrong and because I did wrong, because I sinned, I'm a sinner. And that idea may trick you into thinking, but I'll just try harder tomorrow. And if I try harder, I won't sin tomorrow, which means I won't be a sinner if I try harder tomorrow. And that's a lie that comes straight from hell. See, the truth is, the reason why we lie, cheat, and steal, the reason why we sin is because we have been born into this nature of sin, and it just comes out of us naturally, which means you can't fix it. It means that there's a struggle or a fight going inside all of us, and you can't, no matter how hard you try to be a good girl or a good boy, you can't win this war on your own. You might win a battle or two, but you can't win the war. 
And I'm using Hulk to describe what Peter is trying to do here. Peter has a sword. His leader is in trouble. It's just natural. He's going to take his sword, and he's going to try to fight his way out of this problem. You would do the same thing. I would do the same thing if I were in the garden that day. And instead of allowing Peter to fight, Jesus commands him to put the sword away. Instead of allowing his disciples to stand up and to defend Jesus, he decides to stand up and to defend them. Literally, what the Bible is telling us is instead of Jesus standing behind his disciples and using them as human shields, he stands in front of them and shields them from the guards. There's no question that John, the guy who writes this book, is an eyewitness to what happens. And John is saying, do you want to know why nobody was arrested in that garden but Jesus? Do you want to know why nobody was crucified on the cross with him except for Jesus? It's because he stuck his neck out and protected us so that none of us would have to go through what he went through in that garden. And the guy who had the power, who had all power to win a war before it even got started is in the garden and he restrains himself. And not only does he restrain himself, but he restrains his disciples so that they don't stand up and they don't fight for him. And Jesus is demonstrating his, he is placing his power and restraining himself so that you and I have the ability to have what's broken inside of us fixed. Hulk has almost unlimited power. He has almost unlimited ability to smash his way through any problem except for one. And the Marvel comic book creators tell you Hulk's greatest enemy is actually inside of him. He can't even restrain what's inside of him. And when his anger gets out of control, it's his anger that turns him into this monster that smashes and destroys everything around him. And perhaps the writers of Marvel comic books, when they were writing Hulk, they were thinking about me and you and what's wrong inside of them and saying, I don't have the power to fix what's inside of me either. As much as I wish I could restrain it by my own good work and by my own hard efforts, I can't fix it either. And if Hulk or Superman aren't your thing, then let me just wrap up today with one of my favorites, with Wonder Woman. You see, Wonder Woman is created to fight the greatest enemy and ultimately to defeat the God of war and to stop all wars from ever happening again. That's what Wonder Woman's real purpose is. But I want you to understand that Wonder Woman can't even win this war. And I'm referring now to the war that's in your flesh. You have it inside of you. I have it inside of me. I can't fight it and win it. Oh, I might have a little bit of victory tomorrow if I try real hard. But I won't have victory every day forever. I can't win that war. I might win a battle or two, but I can't win that war. And I want to describe for you what happens next so that you see what the one with ultimate power, the one who can win any war, goes through on your behalf. John chapter 18, starting in verse 12. Then the company of soldiers, the commander... The Jewish officials arrested Jesus and tied him up. Would you say out loud that phrase, tied Jesus up? 
Then they arrested him, and they tied Jesus up. First they led him to Annas, since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who advised the people and said to them, hey, it's better that one of you, I I think I got the wrong verse up here, um, what Caiaphas said is, it's better that one of them, uh, one of them should die, or Jesus should die, than the, than, than the people should die. This is Caiaphas's argument to the Jews a long time ago. I have no idea what that verse was that we just put on the screen, but it was awesome. It just wasn't what Caiaphas said. Caiaphas said to the Jewish leaders weeks or months ago, this guy Jesus is a problem, and we need to get rid of him. And so all of this was already in the works. And what John wants you to know is what's about to happen next, this whole trial, it's a sham. It's already been decided that we're going to kill this guy because he's making our life miserable. And they go through the public spectacle of a trial, frankly, just to get the crowd off of their back and probably to make themselves sleep better at night. But they've already decided we're going to kill this guy because of the problems that he's making for us. So... It looks like a company of Roman soldiers, the commander of that militia, it looks like temple guards and, and uh, the high priest servants and even the religious leaders themselves, they all show up in the garden, they all arrest Jesus, they tie him up and they take him away. And now is the point where I want you to ask this question. Please stay with me. If he could run, why didn't he? If he could fight, and he could fight, why doesn't he? If he could win this war, and there is absolutely no question from the Bible that Jesus could defeat this enemy and win this war. If he could win this war, why didn't he? Let me tell you about the kind of power that Jesus has, because it's far greater than Superman, Wonder Woman, the Hulk, all put together. He has creative power. Genesis chapter 1, the kind of power that if he speaks with a word of his mouth, things come into existence. Jesus has the kind of fighting power, Revelation chapter 19, that with the word of his mouth, He wipes the armies of God off the face of the earth with just one word of his mouth. And he's in the garden with that kind of power. Why doesn't he use it? And there's only one answer that you can go away with. He doesn't use it. Because if he does, you and I go from helpless to hopeless. If he doesn't become the hero of our life story, We got no no chance at heaven. That's really what the Bible is describing for us here. When they mock him and beat him, when they arrest him and tie him up, when they nail him to a cross and when he goes through this brutal death, that man had the power to wipe his enemies off the face of the earth with just a word of his mouth. And instead of doing it, he willingly gives himself up. And I don't want you to think that this was easy for Jesus to do. Because in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus is struggling. He's sweating tears of blood. And he's wrestling with his father. I don't want to go through this. I don't want to have to endure this. But in the process, he says, not my will, God, but your will be done. If this is what it takes to leave the 99 and to go after Jeff, the one. Go after Pete's father, 
the one. Go after you, the one. Then I won't fight. I won't run. I won't win. I will give myself up on their behalf. And that's why you see the king of kings become the suffering servant. The whole world watched last week as Queen Elizabeth's power transferred to her son, King Charles. And what you're reading in the Bible is like someone in the empire decided, I am going to depose King Charles, take over his throne, and rule in his place. That's what sin and rebellion against God is. And it's, it would be the same as King Charles getting off of the throne, stepping down, and taking the death sentence that that person deserves on their behalf so that they could be rescued for what they did wrong. What the Bible is describing is the king above all kings. Charles himself will bow one day like his mother will right now in the presence of the king of the universe and will worship and give him glory. And the Bible is describing the king of kings with all power, all abilities, can win this war with the word of his mouth, chooses not to use that power to rescue you. And maybe the light bulb just came on for you. Maybe today you're realizing, I have a problem inside of me, and I can't outrun it. I can't fight it. I can't win it. I need a hero to step in and to fix me. I need Jesus to change my heart because my problems come from inside me, not from outside of me. In just a second, I'm going to pray for you. But for everybody else in this room, everybody who's online who's watching this service, if you are a follower of Jesus, I hope you have finally got to the point where you realize to yourself, I can't work hard enough to escape my own temptations and my own sin. I need the Holy Spirit to fight for me. I need the Holy Spirit to fight with me. I need the Holy Spirit to give me the power inside of me to fight myself and my flesh. My greatest enemy is not outside of me. It's inside of me. And I can't fight him on my own. I need Jesus' spirit to help me fight that enemy. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.